breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Hope you're all doing well this week. Always a, a number of issues to talk about. This is your faithful American Muslim correspondent, where you can come to find a discussion of the things that uh, are avoided by the lamestream media, avoided by the obsessions on partisan politics and presidential politics, and the fact that the world goes on. And now, especially, you know, as we are faced with the threat, the concern, and some hysteria regarding coronavirus and what it means, I think we're all stepping back to look at what happens to human nature in times of fear and what can we learn from that. So today I want to update you a little bit on Turkey, on Afghanistan, and Taliban, but then talk about some of the stages of responses to normal life, Maslow's hierarchy, if you will. And we'll look at that, and I think it's a apropos conversation to what we're trying to do here at the Reform This program. Every week, you and I try to look at, I try to look and share with you some of the conversation about what you should be thinking about, or what I think should be high on the priority list on things that we can change and we can address in our engagement with the Islamist threat, with the ideological threat of political Islam, and its convergence with the socialists, the communists, the left, if you will, in that red-green axis. So let's start first. I have to tell you, I hate to tell you I told you so, uh, but I will. Uh, There are many on social media that were saying, oh, Jasser doesn't know what he's talking about. Turkey is going to war with Russia. And ultimately, um, a little bit ago, a week, two weeks ago, remember, Turkey was attacked, lost 36 soldiers. Jihadists were killed by Putin's army, by jet raids, by Syrian cooperation with the Syrian military. And all of a sudden, hand-wringing was going on. NATO came to the defense of their NATO ally and said that uh, they would uh, do what necessary to protect Turkey. And maybe not NATO as a whole, but definitely many of the countries within NATO said that, as did the United States, that we stand with our ally Turkey, as nauseating as that is now. And I don't say that about the Turkish people, I say that about Erdogan, the Islamists, the, the head of the AKP, the Islamist Uh, identical to the Muslim Brotherhood Party, and that's what they are, running Turkey. And when he sends his military to do stuff, they're not doing it compassionately. They're not doing it uh, necessarily because they just are a force for good. They are a force for Islamism. Their troops under Erdogan's mission as the Neo-Caliphate. That's what he's trying to do. He wants to be the Neo-Caliph. I'll remind you that. Don't make any mistake that Erdogan is just a little president of a large, successful country in Europe. No. He is started as a mayor of Istanbul and at that time described democracy as a train, a train that you use, he said, quote, 
a train that we ride until we get where we need to go and then we get off. Well, as I told you last, uh, uh, one of the last podcasts, I said, stop the hand-wringing. Erdogan's going to thump his chest. He's going to do stuff and he's not going to do anything to Russia. He needs them. The Turks have gone back and forth, not only with their subservience to Russia, but as a result of Russia, also subservience to the Assad regime. Now, that fleetingly went away right after the revolution started because the Turks thought that Assad was gone. Everybody was saying he was gone. Uh, The State Department's policy, uh, Hillary Clinton's policy was he was dead man walking, that his time is gone. And then, as the Iran deal began to be threatened, they basically did whatever necessary under the Obama administration to make sure Assad stayed in place and did nothing to help the revolution. And again, I'm not saying that we should have had troops there of any significant amount, but the point is is that even we were initially helping the Erdogans of the world who have self-interest believe that Assad was gone, so he thought he would then work more openly, more directly with the Hamases, the Muslim Brotherhood, the Islamists, and Turkey was significantly responsible along with Qatar with the radicalization of the Islamist movement in Syria and converting what is a significant threat of the Muslim Brotherhood into a violent threat of ISIS in Syria. But now, fast forward, we find that the revolution's dying off, basically dead. ISIS is gone, no territory. The jihadist threat is still there. And Turkey now has put troops in, really primarily intended to contain, torture, terrorize the Kurds and also create a buffer zone inside Syria that gives them a little territory but also allows them to push back against the Kurds which they've always wanted to do in their in their animus and their genocidal hate against the Kurdish community and Fast forward to last week and the last vestiges of the Islamists remain in Idlib. Russia continues to do operations now heavily with the Assad regime as they try to decimate not only any jihadists but actually any threat to the regime of, of moderates, democratic, even secular moderates in Idlib. A, a massacre is slow-moving horrifically through Idlib town of millions this time they came up against and targeted Turkish troops it was felt that they knew exactly it was Turkish troops Erdogan thumps his chest is irritated 36 Turkish soldiers are killed and everybody's saying this may be the beginning of world war whatever And I responded, now he just thumping his chest. He'll come back to to his bro, Putin, who he's working close with, as he does as a co-Islamist with the Khomeinists, even though they have different interests in Syria. And sure enough, this week, in his first appearance, at a speech with the leadership of the Turkish government, 
Erdogan downplayed the incidents, made jokes and laughed as his son-in-law and others in the audience clapped and laughed aloud about what they're doing in Syria, about, about their honor and how things just happen sometimes. <laughs> so I guess he had a little phone call from Putin, bro. A little phone call from Vladimir Putin told him to, uh, you know, if you want to be part of the dictator club, you have to realize that some things happen. I don't know the details of that conversation, but use your imagination. Erdogan, at the end of the day, is a tyrant who wants to keep himself in power. Now the question is, is will his dismissal of the death of 36 Turks cause him harm at home? His following is so cultish that it almost as if he gets away with anything. And that's my fear, is that I don't think there's any accountability to Turkish nationalism, to Turkish identity, which is usually the only balance to the aspirations, the cultish aspirations of a neo-caliph in the making. So things go on. So don't think for a second, yes, Erdogan's running an Islamist military that has incursions uh, and, and aggressions. But don't think for a second that at the end of the day he will not settle back and appease and acquiesce the Putins, the Assad, the Khomeinis of the world. Khamenei's. <laughs> Next, what is happening in Afghanistan? I'm all for our withdrawal. As, as you know, I, I, 18 years is enough. We're not talking another three or four years. We've been there 18 years and nothing has happened. No progress. From Karzai to the Taliban, every side is doomed with corruption, with tribalism, with Islamism, radicalism, and terrorism. Let's get our sons and daughters out of there and just continue to have good intel as we do with good intel in, in also horrifically disorganized tribal places like Somalia and elsewhere. But we don't need to have a, a significant presence. But somehow, the administration feels we need to have a peace deal. Making a peace deal with the Taliban is a joke. What happened to the we don't negotiate with terrorists? And as many in the conservative community have said, is this sort of the Obama nuclear deal moment for the Trump administration? What, what, what is going on? I think that's a bit of a stretch. I, I, this is very different and much more limited in scope. But heck, we're sitting down with goddamn terrorists. And they said, oh, they're giving them benchmarks to holding them accountable and, and uh, we will click right back in, yada, yada, yada. And I hate to tell you this, we sat down with them, what, seven, eight, nine days ago? And already four days into it, the truce was supposedly made. And the, and the Taliban have continued operations in Afghanistan. Their Afghan ops continue. So they're terrorists. 
their entire mantra, their entire being, their ideologies about wiping out, decimating others, destroying statues of, uh, of, of, of the Buddhist faith to uh, uh, torturing women, whipping and flogging them if they don't wear a hijab and the burqa. I mean, these folks are Neanderthals who believe in the most aggressive form of a theocratic Islamist state. Negotiating with them is a waste of time. So what should we do? We should, if you want to hold them accountable, sure. But no deal, no deal is better than any deal or a deal even with the Taliban. We leave, we tell them what they're going to be doing. We tell them what will bring us back. If they violate it, we don't need a photo op with them at the table. There was folks that we were negotiating with last week with photos who were a guy who was also on the list as I mentioned uh, last podcast on the top 10 most wanted folks with the FBI. That's nuts. Doesn't make any sense. And not to mention, I think it makes us look not the greatest. And who was missing from the VIP section of the quote-unquote peace pact in Doha? Oh, yeah, it was in Doha, Qatar, remember? Where the Islamist Brotherhood coalesced out of the nuclear cancer center of radical Islam globally. The ideas of radical Islam. Well, the Afghan women, the youth, who gave voice, as Ezra Nomani said, to the hopes and fears of women into a free Afghanistan. They weren't there. They weren't stakeholders so this is the problem is when you bring the taliban in and use them as legitimately having a a platform you end up marginalizing the people who really really are our allies on the ground women's rights movements and others i'm not saying that the state department dod shouldn't be pragmatic and uh, on the ground this is why i repeatedly have said be it and when the brotherhood was running egypt or or uh, whoever it is yes Our DOD, our diplomacy, should engage ruling governments as necessary, but hold them accountable just like we're doing now with Iran. And hold them accountable through peace, through strength, through deterrent measures. Not a peace plan but simply give them our plan. And then we leave. And we should just leave. Once we give them our plan, we just leave Afghanistan and leave behind intel ops, undercover, uh, intel operation, whatever it might be, but no significant presence. Far more integrity for who we are based on that. I think ultimately that's probably what the Trump administration is doing, but they wanted to make the exit sort of a public deal and hand over Afghanistan to say now we have left and here's the line in the sand I think that cost us more in identity and integrity than it gave us last one of the things as we as as America and the world flails against coronavirus and i say flails because of how culture is driving strategy it's a quote i've used frequently from peter drucker that culture eats strategy for breakfast 
as the, as the shelves at the markets are, are emptying and and uh, people are wearing masks and, and the Surgeon General says, stop buying masks. They don't help. It might help for people with colds and coughing so their respiratory droplets aren't spreading through the air too far. But if you're wearing a mask, don't think for a second that some of the microscopic particles of if it's if it's not made as as a uh, insulin type of insulated type of masks, which are like the TB masks, and even those need to be fit tested so that you have a seal or otherwise it doesn't work, and you're they're tight and using your hands, and what what transmits the virus is hand to mouth movement. So the whole thing is just not academic, but again, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and we are witnessing. A nation that is absorbed, a world, because of the social media impact, because of a number of factors as as they're trying to nab something on President Trump doing incorrectly, which I believe is nonsense, because we have the most brilliant infectious disease heads at CDC and NIH and elsewhere, and uh, there has absolutely been no evidence from any of them that they have not done exactly what they wanted to do in their positions. Now, the communications process, the the um, ability of the Trump administration to articulate, assemble a team that strategizes publicity and information, that obviously needs some improvement and has been improving as they navigate these new waters for them. But the bottom line is, is what's been happening is the best possible scenario that would have happened the same as Fauci's Dr. Fauci, the head of CDC, said, I've, I've done this since Reagan, Clinton, Bush, Obama did it the same way, and I'll continue to do it the same way now. There's been no impedance of what he wants to do. But we're reminded, and, and I think it's apropos to the discussion of reform, of Maslow's hierarchies of needs. I've mentioned it briefly before. But Maslow described five sort of pyramidal staging in which motivational theory has a five-tier model of human needs in a pyramid. The needs lower down in that pyramid must be satisfied before individuals can attend to the needs higher up. So from the bottom up, we start with our physiological needs. Air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction. Those are our physiological needs. Something like coronavirus, terrorism comes along, and we're wondering, are we going to be able to live, eat, breathe? Are we suffocating? Above that is our safety needs. Once we have what we have, how safe are we to keep them? How safe are we? Personal security, employment, resources. Do we have the ability to replenish those needs? Above that, once we have the security, once we have the resources, then do we have the compassion? Do we have the love, love and belonging? Friendship, intimacy, family. And then above that is esteem. Self-esteem, status, recognition. And last is self-actualization. I prefer to call the last one legacy. The desire to become the most that one can be.
legacy. So, in his articles in 1943, 35, Maslow described these things. And that growth did not stem from a lack of something, but rather from a desire to grow as a person, to build who we are. And that's something I've tried to to do at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and in our Muslim reform movement is that are we going to continue to allow ourselves to be shaped by terrorism, to be shaped by radicals, or are we going to celebrate Americanism, celebrate liberty and freedom, and then build a narrative of being personally, pietistically Muslim and also being free and not being a threat to any other individual or staying in our lane of, of individuality? And being free, free speech, free to leave the faith, enter the faith, free to have a personal relationship with God, no relationship with God, whatever you want, free to criticize our faith, their faith, whatever it might be. That is the legacy that we seek from a positive perspective. But I found ourselves at the reform movement and with the work that I do constantly butting heads with movements that are much larger. Movements that are about fear, are about making people concerned about their resources, about their ability to take care of themselves, their physiological needs, their resources. And we couldn't get any oxygen. We haven't been able to get much oxygen in the room. And that's why I believe the red-green axis continues to, to defeat us. The, the left's anti-establishment movement, which, again, like I told you, if Bernie Sanders is anti-establishment, he is the establishment. He's just the open painfully honest ideologue of the of the democrats who refuse to admit that they are socialists that they are uh, 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 folks that succeed out of giving citizens false hopes of free things but again the reason they give everybody free things works for bernie sanders and the socialists and we saw you venezuela go from a, a wealthy country to a impoverished devastation is Free things run out if creativity, ingenuity, capitalism isn't driving the engine of social change. And the Islamists feed on the same thing, which is terrorism is not about killing many people. It's about targeting innocence in order to drive wedges of fear, anarchy, and chaos into societies and asynchronous warfare not against militaries but against citizenries the Islamists use that they have no moral compass because their ultimate desire is not only to advance Islamism but to weaken and destroy their other societies that they hate especially secular liberal democracies from within and we see now with this coronavirus thing Forget the the fact that it's an infectious disease. Victor Davis Hansen has a great piece in Town Hall this week about 
the virus and how you compare what happened during the times of the bubonic plague and other times of mass pandemics and the many that died and the links it had to economies and other changes. Not saying that that's what's happening, but just the little teaching moments we have to understand these things can sometimes help us early on to ratchet back hysteria. Then, there have been some changes in the 60s and 70s made to Maslow's hierarchies. And I think this is the ultimate key. If we're going to move on in the 21st century, we have to we have to figure out how to take these needs and take the the top two. Remember, most of the work that really changes the world, civil rights movement, um, uh, defeating Nazism, fascism, ideological change that that defeats bigotry, that that brings people back to root core values of genuine genuine love for one another, respect of equality for one another, respect to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. All these things happen, I believe, when you figure out how to make those top little priorities, the primary ones, that we expect less of our need for food and shelter, that we have what we have, and we realize that by having self-actualization of legacy needs and 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 true deep reform we can leave the world a better place and then that will create an engine for greater success after all isn't that why so many people are for free markets is because we realize we realize that when people are given the freedom to create the rest of society benefits yeah they're you know the the socialists might do their mantra of the anti-billionaire uh, uh, hate that they have and wanting to redistribute the wealth of those who've succeeded. But at the end of the day, they're still living in a world that the Amazons of the world are employing hundreds of thousands of people, driving an engine in the economy that they would like to see continue. And when it's not government, it allows them the freedom to create new and better things without a deep bureaucracy. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan of kleptocrats and their, at times, ability to steer politics in a way that protects their own wealth. But still, at the end of the day, free markets are a far, far, far better system than one run by a government that ultimately has a need to keep the powerful powerful and those who want to check that power out of power. So Maslow's hierarchies, again, as we look at what motivates people, I see things going around the internet with emails and stuff about, oh, corona could be a dry cough, and then it starts with little intense runny nose, and people are are spreading things that are just false. Yeah, it has some similarities to respiratory virus, but any respiratory virus like the cold virus, but the way it's being presented on a lot of social media is with authority and just complete fabrication and often completely unsigned. 
the additional add-ons to Maslow's five levels were a cognitive need of knowledge and understanding. That's above esteem. So beyond esteem, we have a cognitive need. And boy, I tell you, that is so important. Knowledge and understanding, curiosity, exploration, need for meaning and predictability. That is something intensely human, I think. And it's such an important need that I think does mandate its own category. Aesthetic needs, that's in Maslow's pyramid. But last he added, they added transcendence needs. A person is motivated by values which transcend beyond the personal self. Mystical experiences, certain experiences with nature, aesthetic, sexual experiences, service to others, the pursuit of science, religion, and faith. So true. And we can't ignore that. It's interesting that Maslow had ignored that. But you sort of put that at the top. And I will tell you that part of the success of the reform movement is that people of all faith realize that, yes, each faith needs to define its own laws and its own uh, um, lanes, if you will. But if a faith of, let's say, a quarter of the world's population fails and becomes evil to its core, it will take much of the rest of the world with it. So either we take sides within the faith to help those who share our values succeed against tyranny, against the Islamists within, or if we say, oh, it's all their problem, not ours, we may lose. What if the good people lose within the faiths and we get down into sectarian battles, into divisions? So I think these are the things that drive Maslow's, call it what you will, the the motivations of what makes people wake up to the threat, to want to listen to podcasts like this, reform this, that want to listen to and, and work to figure out how to engage a network with platforms of people who want to succeed. What are the things that we can do to help them move along more quickly. I've been doing this work since 9-11. We formed an organization in 2003. If you had said, Zudi, what do you think you'll be doing in 2020? I would have thought we'd be much further along. I would have thought we would have major institutes with millions of dollars of funding and have platforms that are toe-to-toe with even the Muslim Brotherhood Party in Egypt, in Turkey, on Western media. I'm talking about toe-to-toe on Western media. I did not think we'd have mass followings within 15 years. No, because our program is directed more towards leadership development of antagonists against Islamist clerics, against Islamist talking heads. But however, the support from the West, the support for media and and thought leaders and academics and business leaders and foundations, I would have thought would have been more sustainable and more prolonged and deeper as they saw in their Maslow's needs that there are some top-level needs that need to be satisfied in order for our world to stay safe. And I think with the coronavirus, we're seeing people sort of act viscerally. We're seeing them act hysterically without reason, but yet just because they want to protect their family, protect their home. And yet we keep ratcheting them back. Listen, this is the rationality. This is what medical science says. Take it easy. We're with you. Let's work together. Let's not empty the shelves of things. That Let's not order all the masks so that the medical community can't get the masks they need. 
And when we're fighting terrorism, similarly, let's work together. Let's let's see what the Muslims that are with us need to succeed so that we don't suck all the oxygen out of the room and talk about every Muslim being a possible terrorist and causing more fear and yet eliminating the progress that Muslims that cherish Americanism that are going to fight against the theological Islamism can do with us and help them with that muscular liberalism that we want we want to win in a positive way. So next time you see us respond to major threats, existential threats, whatever it might be, look at Maslow's list. Look at the, the add-ons that were done in the 60s and 70s with emotional needs, with transcendent needs, with legacy needs, self-actualization needs. And I think this is where we need to work together. And I hope week to week you feel that here you are getting that dose of reality when it comes to reform for democracy, reform against political Islam, and for liberalism. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I Jasser, J-A-S-S-E-R, also at Reform This Radio, at Reform This Radio, and find our podcast at theblaze.com backslash podcast. This is your faithful American Muslim patriot. We'll, he- we'll be with you next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.